So, you know, those kind of, oh, I'm really sorry, I can't do that, I'm, I'm far too busy. You know, I haven't got the capability or I haven't got... Sometimes, that's cynicism. Many people are afraid of commitment. I went out with a guy who was afraid of commitment. Maybe it was just me. But, um, you know, he just wouldn't commit to anything. I'd be saying, you know, so do you want to meet on Thursday? He'd be like, yeah, maybe. He didn't last long in my life. I was like, you need to either say you're going to be there on Thursday or not say, don't, don't give me that kind of, oh, maybe. That does my head in. You say you're going to be there on Thursday or you say I'm not going to be there on Thursday. That way you're committed. Either way. You don't say, maybe I'm going to be there on Thursday. No. Did he last long in M. Hancock's life? No, he did not. Yes. For those on the podcast, somebody just said, preach it. And I did. You know, some of the most amazing people I have known haven't been amazing people. They've been ordinary people with an amazing God. And that's so inspiring, isn't it? Because that means I, I get to be like that. I don't have to be amazing to be used by God. I just have to be available to be used by God. I have to be ordinary enough to know that I'm ordinary enough so that God can come in and say, do you know what, Ems? I can use you because you don't think you're amazing. If you think you're amazing, God doesn't use you because he's the one that gets to be amazing. So if you can come to God and say, I'm totally ordinary and I don't deserve you and actually I have to humble myself before you because I'm really quite little and I don't actually know everything I need to know. He says, brilliant, join my team. And isn't it encouraging where you have someone like Simon who comes to our church and says, do you know you guys are so welcoming. We want to be like that. We haven't got all of the answers, every single person in here. If you come up to us, we might not know the answer, but we might be sitting next to somebody else who does because we're a team and we've committed to being a team. I get excited. Okay, Romans 6, 13 says this, give yourselves completely to God, every part of you, for you've been brought back to life and you want to be tools in the hands of God used for his good purposes. That's the highest commitment we can make in life, isn't it? To be used completely. I want you to notice the language here. Give yourself completely, every part of you, for you've been brought back to life. Those are big words. God isn't asking for half of you, or two-thirds of you, or the Sunday you, or the bits that you're proud of. And some people find that a bit scary, but I find it such a relief because he doesn't say to me, Ems, I really love your writing, but I don't want your eating disorder. So if you could just give me the, the really good bits about you, but the stuff you struggle with, I don't want that. He doesn't say that to us, does he? He says, Ems, I love all of you, every bit of you, even the stuff that you're ashamed of or even the stuff that you find hard. I love all of you. I find that comforting that somebody could love me like that, don't you? Romans 12, 1 says this, since God has shown us great mercy, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to him. Your offering must be only for God and pleasing to him, which is the spiritual way for you to worship. God wants us to commit to giving him ourselves as a living sacrifice. And the, do you know what the trouble with sacrifices is when they're living? It's that they move. 
<laughs> a sacrifice normally in the Old Testament was like a dead thing. It was mainly dead. It just kind of lay there and it was dead. It didn't move because it was dead. But when Jesus came, he said, no, I want you to be a living sacrifice. I want you to choose to come and lay yourself down. But the trouble when we're living and sacrificing ourselves is that we move off the altar. We kind of think, he's not there anymore. He's not noticing. We're going to get down and we scooch off. And we think, he hasn't seen me. It's all right. And we do a bit of a Jonah. You know, Jonah was asked to go somewhere and he bought a ticket to not Nineveh. He bought a ticket to Tarshish. He goes in the opposite direction. And we can be like that. We can go to not Nineveh too. Have you ever given something to God and then taken it back? Have you ever said, do you know what? I'm going to give you all my financial concerns. And then the next morning you wake up and you look at your bank statement and you go, oh my goodness, I've not got enough to go and buy bread. Seriously, what am I going to do? This is awful. I've not got any money. Right, I just need to ring my friend. We're going to pray, we're going to pray, we're going to pray. I'm going to get all the prayer warriors and we're all going to pray. And then we're going to sit down and we're going to write a list of all the things that we're grateful to God for. Oh God, I'm so sorry, I'm really worried about... Can you see what you've done? You've totally gone back on the thing that you said. You said you were not going to worry about finances. You made that a promise and then you got off the altar. And you walk around the other side of it and you were like, excuse me, I know you're God, but if you don't mind, I'm just going to worry about this now. Makes a nonsense of it, doesn't it? I've done that. You've done that. We've all said to God, this is yours. I'm not going to worry about that. This is your job, God. I'm not going to worry about who I'm going to marry. That's, that's your job. I'm not going to worry about you know, what, what car I'm going to buy. It's your job. I'm not going to worry about my exam results because that's your job. And then the minute those exam results are due, you are papping yourself because you're like, I could have failed, I could have failed. You ring your mum, I could have failed mum. And God's like, did you not say you were giving that to me? You committed to giving that to me. So which is it? It's challenging, isn't it? We get off the altar, we go somewhere else. But do you know what God knows that about us? Because he wrote the book on being human, so he understands what being human is all about. Sometimes we forget that, don't we? We think, oh, I'm so human. <gasps> oh, I just must do God's head in. I must annoy him. But he made us, so he gets us. He gets us. He gets us more than we get ourselves. He doesn't go, oh, you've really disappointed me. Did you know it's impossible to disappoint God because he knew what you were going to do? So you can't be disappointed because you can only be disappointed if somebody does something that you weren't expecting. We can't disappoint God because he's seen it. That's amazing, isn't it? Because we disappoint everybody else, don't we? Everybody else gets disappointed by me. You know? My kids get disappointed by me. My husband, my friends. I disappoint everybody. So do you. But I can't disappoint God because he has not unappointed me. That's exciting. I'm excited about that. Anyone else excited about that? Okay. Just checking we are actually community. This is good. 
So what kind of commitments will change our lives? We've been in this series for a few weeks now, and I don't know about you, but sometimes when I come to church, I can feel like this overwhelming thing of, okay, six more things beginning with P that I need to do. And I write it down in my journal, and I'm like, yes, I'm going to commit to six more things. And then the next week, it's six more things beginning with S that I need to do. And it's like, oh, okay, I've got the P, I've got the S. Okay, what word are we spelling, you know? <laughs> I don't, I'm not quite sure. But you know what? We're in the year of equipping. So that means that some weeks, God will give us a piece of equipment that he won't give somebody else. And that's okay. Somebody will get something out of a sermon and somebody else won't. And that's okay because God is equipping us and he's not gonna give you the same equipment that he's gonna give me because he doesn't ask you to do the same thing that he's asked me to do. So sometimes you won't get something out of a grow group session and somebody else is crying their heart out because God has pressed all their buttons and he said, this is what I need you to do. And you go, yes. But somebody else might be sitting there literally going, I wonder what I'm having for tea tomorrow. Because then God's not equipping them in that moment. So let's get excited with one another about what God is equipping us for. Not just, you know, get excited about me. Let's cheerlead each other in this season. I'm so excited in my grow group because every week somebody gets excited about something that God is doing. But it might not be for me. Guess what, people? The kingdom of God is not all about you. I know. It's revelation. But it's true, isn't it? We sometimes think that God revolves around me and my needs and the things that I do. And we say things like, oh, I didn't think the worship was great today. Who's the worship for? Is it for me? It's a byproduct that it's for me. It's not for me at all. We need to be careful. We might look at some other people and we might say to them, well, they're very committed. They give to charity. They care for those in need. And and all those things are great. But they might not be eternally great. I want to do things that outlast me. I'm quite little. I've got a big gob. Love speaking for Jesus. One day I'm going to die. So I have to think about the way in which my life has a legacy. I want to think about not just the way I'm going to be remembered. I do not give a monkey's, not a tiny monkey, about how I'm remembered. What I care about is my legacy. That's very different. I care about what I taught people. I care about what I invest in people. I care about who people saw in me. I want to be a clean window. People look through and see the face of Jesus because that's what they will then hopefully invest in other people. What are you committed to? Just turn to the person next to you and ask this very simple question. It's coming up on the screen, hopefully. What does a committed person not do? Just chat to the person next to you. What does a committed person not do?
Okay. Hopefully, you'll have said something that slightly related to the, uh, the question. What does a committed person not do? Someone shout out to me. Don't give up, brilliant. Anything else? Say again. Oh, that's a good one. I didn't write that one down, Karen. I didn't write that one. That's not on the PowerPoint. That's brilliant, though. Don't jeopardise it. Be late or not turn up. Yeah, brilliant. So what, what I kind of said was, it's easy sometimes. Can we go on to the next slide, Si? Thank you. A committed person doesn't give up. Even when it's really hard, they don't give up. So I had um, a friend of mine who was a, an Olympic skier. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, an Olympic skier. And she lived with me for some time and she ate me out of house and home. Let me tell you, that girl could eat carbs. Um, but she did not give up. She was out there training every day. Most annoying when you're trying to do something else. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry, you'll have to wait till I get back because I'm training. But she was totally committed. She didn't give up. Next one, please. You don't get fed up. It's so easy, even for Christians, isn't it? We get fed up. It says in the Bible, do not be weary of doing good. Sometimes we get so weary, don't we? We can say, do you know what? No one's looking after me. I'm looking after everybody else here. And we get weary. We say, oh, you know, I'm fed up of being the one who has to organise stuff. Or I'm fed up of being the one who has to, you know, wash the loo or, you know, I'm fed up of being that person. We get fed up easily. Can I have the next one, sorry? People don't walk away. I love this little dude here. He's like, I'm here. I'm not moving. Children can be so determined, can't they? I've got a little girl of six. No one gets past her. She is like, she runs the family. <laughs> she is totally like, she's got it down to a fine art. The other day she said, Mummy, are there any more meatballs? I said, no, I'm really sorry. They've all, they're all gone. She looked at Ben's plate and she was like, Ben, how's that meatball going for you there? And he was like, Esther, you're not having my meatball. She was like, okay, Tom, how's your meatball? He was like, Esther, you're not having my meatball. Sam was like, you can have mine, darling. <laughs> oh, she's got them down. She's got them down. Committed people last the distance. They finish the task. They're loyal, dependable, trustworthy. So what does that kind of commitment require? Well, it's tenacity. You know, someone who's like, I'm just not going to give up. I'm not going to give up on you. Maybe you've been asking somebody to come to church for years and they, they just don't come. You've got a choice there. You've got a choice to go, oh, I'm not going to ask them again because it's doing my head in. Or you go... Actually, it's really important to me. So I'm going to carry on. I was having a chat to a guy a couple of days ago at a conference called Phil. Absolute legend of a Christian. Beautiful man of God. And he said to me, Ems, one of my friends wasn't a Christian. And he said to me, Phil, I really like you, but I need you to shut up about Jesus because you are doing my nut. You are constantly talking about Jesus. This guy's an evangelist, so yeah, he's going to talk about Jesus a lot. So he's just, his friend just said to him, please just don't talk to me about Jesus anymore. And he said, okay, uh, I'm sorry, okay. And then he said to me, 10 years later, 
I get a phone call from that guy's mum and he was killed outright in the bomb at Sharm el-Sheikh with his, with his girlfriend. He said, I would give anything for five more minutes with my friend. I would not stop talking about Jesus with my friend. And that really challenged me because actually sometimes people don't know what they need. If you ask a kid, they don't know what they need. Sometimes we have to decide for people that we will not give up. Trust. Commitment requires trust in someone or something. Now, if you struggle with commitment, it might be because you don't trust yourself. Because you think, oh, I'm just going to let you down. So maybe you have to trust in the God who asked you to make the commitment rather than trusting in you. Because he's never going to let you down. What, what about vision? Every single building in the world started off in somebody's mind. Every single great idea started off in somebody's mind. So perhaps you need to think about the vision of what you're committed to. It starts in here, it moves to here, then it goes to here. It starts in your head, moves to your heart, and then it goes to your hands. That's what happens with vision. And sometimes we need to imagine what we're trying to achieve and being committed to, don't we? Dedication, we need that. We need perseverance. I think sometimes it's, it's hard. We live in a, in a brilliant church, but there are some people in our church who soar like eagles. And sometimes we can look at the people soaring like eagles and feel that we're flapping like pigeons. Yeah? And we can look at other people and go, wow, they just get their prayers answered all the time. They're an amazing woman of God. That, she's amazing or he's incredible. And so we don't commit to anything because we think, oh, I can never be like that. But the brilliant thing is God isn't asking us to be like them, is he? He's asking us to be dedicated to the thing that he's asked us to do. So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, there's, there's four things that strengthen our commitments and they're four M's. I've turned them into four M's so you can remember them. See what I did. So the first one is music. This week I was um, running a prayer room. I was praying for a lady. She was crying her eyes out. We we're having a really amazing time. And then one of these lads who was in the prayer room decided to change the music. And suddenly the Austin Powers theme tune came out. It was all this kind of beautiful soaking music and it was a lovely atmosphere. And suddenly we had, you know that? And I was like, oh no, totally ruined the atmosphere. But what I'm talking about, I'm not talking about distracting music like that. I'm talking about music that changes the atmosphere for the good. So tonight we've had some amazing worship, haven't we? And that raises our faith, changes the atmosphere. Worshipping on my own or worshipping with others renews my strength. The Bible says this, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary and they will walk and not faint. So did you know that worship restores joy? It's true, isn't it? Sometimes we can, um, we can be really low and we think, oh, I don't want to go to church. I just feel a bit low. And then we rock up. Guess who else rocks up too? God. Simple. <laughs> But he does something sometimes through music that he doesn't do in another way. So the first thing is music. It resets the agenda for us. I was listening to um, 
a song this morning that Andy was singing and I just, I couldn't sing. I couldn't join in because the words were just like, oh, because it was just answering something in my heart. It resets and recalibrates us, doesn't it? The second M is mates. We learn who we are primarily through relationship. Recently, um, I was at a, uh, a wedding anniversary celebration and I sat next to this guy. You know, sometimes you sit next to people and you think, we are not going to get on. This is going to be a very dull three hours. Um, but I sat next to this guy and he probably thought that about me and I thought that about him. And by the end of it, we were like, best mates. It was brilliant. But he was very different to me. Um, he was a badger watcher. Uh, I'm wearing this in honour of him tonight. <laughs> for the... This is genuinely true. For the benefit of the podcast, I'm wearing a large, oversized, black and white top. Thank you. But I, I met this guy and I literally thought, this is going to be very dull. Because this man has not stopped talking about badges for the last three hours. I love a badger. I'm very good friends with them. I think they're brilliant but there are other things in life. However, he sent me a book a few weeks later that totally blew me away because it said this. In the book was a true story about a badger, of course, <laughs> who had lost her cubs in sets, okay? So there'd been these kind of, in their set, they'd come in and these poachers had put these um, traps down and she'd lost three cubs, okay? It's totally true. And in the same week, a baby had crawled out of a car and fallen into her set. And she kept the baby alive for nine English days. Nine days by letting the baby feed milk from her and by bringing the baby worms. Anyone feel differently about badgers now? Oh yeah, you're going, badgers are cool. But the thing is, that baby was kept alive by the badger. Later on, that baby had some issues because it was not kept alive by being around humans. We can be kept alive, but we don't truly live out of contact with one another. So that baby had all sorts of problems going, um, I was kept alive by the milk of a female badger. I was also kept alive by worms at a time when most people would say, baby rice. <laughs> we can't be kept truly alive without one another. And there are going to be times, there are going to be times in our lives when life doesn't make sense because we're not close enough to people, because we are not sharing with other people enough. Some of the hardest, hardest times in my life have been when I've shut people off and I've said, oh, I don't want to tell you my stuff. Anyone else feel like that? Of like, oh, I just don't want to be open with you. So suddenly I've got lonely and then I blame other people for not being there for me. Anyone else? We're rubbish at that, aren't we? We're like, oh, nobody understands me. It's, do you know why nobody understands you? Because you don't talk to them. Romans 12 says this, we are like various parts of the human body. Each part gets its meaning from Christ's body as a whole, not the other way around. Okay, 
So moving on to my third M. This is maturing. This is a beautiful little boy shaving with a toothbrush. Look at that. There are many things that we can't learn on our own. And we have to learn them in community. I learned that I've got twin little boys. And I learned that twin boys come out of the womb not knowing how to share. They just don't want to share. They don't want to share anything. We have to learn to share in community. We have to learn kindness, sympathy, unselfishness, loyalty in community. You can't be loyal unless you have somebody to be loyal to. Ephesians 4.16 says this, Christ's body is fitted together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts to grow. Anthony mentioned that this morning. We need each other, don't we? I am totally, totally brilliant at making cakes, but I cannot add up. I can't, I'm, I'm terrible at maths. Fortunately, I married a man who's brilliant at maths and terrible at making cakes. So it's a partnership, it's beautiful. He's alive to bless me and I'm alive to bless him. I'm so glad that he didn't say to me, well, I'm very sorry, but because you haven't been given the ability to do maths, I'm going to make you do all the maths in our house. I mean, he's taught me a lot. I don't know how to use a calculator. But he has to check it. Because <laughs> they sometimes press the wrong numbers. It's not great. God made us to need each other. The very first thing that the Bible says that's not good do you know what it is? It's not good for man to be alone. Some of us are very good at being alone. God don't like it. He really doesn't. The fourth M is ministry, which is a Christian word. It basically means serving. In order to be a person of strong commitments, we will serve with others in ministry. Um, I'm going to read a little bit from a book that I um, wrote earlier this year. This bit's called Serving Suggestion. Most food comes with a serving suggestion. The manufacturers provide an illustration. Even on a packet of cornflakes, there will usually be a photograph. What is the photo telling us? It is saying this. We suggest that you eat these cornflakes with milk in a bowl using a spoon. We have taken a picture for you so you know exactly what we mean by the terms bowl, milk and spoon. It couldn't be simpler. They do not suggest that you put the cornflakes on a plate, or that's what the picture would show. And they do not suggest that you serve them with olive oil, because they know that would taste vile. The options are narrower, but they are clear about the product and how it will taste best. Why? Because they are the makers. Did you know that our lives have a serving suggestion? And the suggestion is that we serve. This will make us happy. I want to be happy. Do you? Some of the happiest people I know are not the tiredest people. They're not the people who walk around with a shopping list of all the things that are wrong with them because they're overstretched, but they're the people who are committed to the right things and enjoy serving. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, each of you has received a gift to use to serve others. 
So our gifts aren't for us. They're not to make us look good, praise God. The reason you might be good at maths is to serve somebody who's not. And the reason you might be able to deliver a baby, where's my midwife, there she is. You know, she can, she can deliver a baby, that's amazing. I can't deliver a baby, I wouldn't know what to do. It's fabulous to have someone like that at a time when you need to, a baby delivered. Yeah, you don't, you don't want somebody standing there going, I'm really good at maths, yeah. <laughs> that's rubbish, isn't it? I don't want that. It's like you, you get on a bus and you hope that the bus driver has trained himself to be a bus driver. You hope he doesn't go, oh, I've never driven one of these. <laughs> Tractors, oh, that's my thing. <laughs> we want people around us who are good at what we need. And ministry like this, serving like this, is the path to meaning in life. One of my favourite passages in the whole of Scripture is in Ecclesiastes 4. And it says, two people are always better than one because by working together, if one falls down, the other can help him up. But it's bad for the person who's alone and falls because there's no one to help. If two lie down, they can share the same blanket. Have you ever tried to share a blanket when you're lying down and the other person's standing up? Somebody over there saying, yes, I have. <laughs> it's rubbish. Have you ever tried to share a blanket with somebody who consistently turns over in the night? <laughs> oh, tell me about it. But what happens is if you share a blanket with the wrong person, you both get cold. So we have to share blankets with the right people, spiritually speaking. We have to be in community with people who are going to bless us and we're going to bless them. And that means moving when they move. It means turning when they turn. So you know how you sometimes are in a work situation and there's real synergy between two of you because you do the same thing at the same time. That's so important in ministry settings that you are up for something at the same time. If Anthony surrounded himself with people who were kind of going, no, you're all right. We wouldn't get anything done here. What he does is he prays for people to come alongside him who've got the same vision and move at the same time as him and, and feel the same things as him so that more ministry can get done. When we work together, we maximise our input, don't we? Secondly, it said in that verse that we can minimise our failures because if we fall down, the other can help us up. Has anyone ever been in a position where somebody else has helped us up when we felt low and someone else has picked us up? It's amazing, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing when somebody can come alongside us. I remember years ago being on a team and a lady came up to me. She said, can I have a chat to you? And I thought, hey, up. You know, that kind of sisterly, motherly chat where you think, I am in big trouble now. I didn't know what I'd done. She took me to one side and she said, you are a very lovely girl. There was a but coming. But in love, can I tell you how you come across? And I was like, okay, thinking this is going to hurt. And it really did. She said to me, you're a really, really lovely person, but you flirt. And that is not godly. It totally winded me. It was so painful. But she said it to me at the age of 17. I was so grateful for her 
because I had to examine what I was doing, how I was acting, why I was doing it. And years later, she actually turned up at my mum's funeral. And I said to her, you won't remember this, and she didn't. But I said, at 17, you took me to one side and you told me that I was a flirt. She went, oh no, oh, you're joking. I'm so sorry. Oh, that's so awful. I'm so big headed. Oh my goodness. And I was like, shut up. I needed to hear that. You saw something, you called it out on me and I changed. So thank you for that. Sometimes God puts us with people who challenge us. Are you in a relationship with somebody who challenges you, who says, should you wear that? Should you be doing that? Should you speak like that? Should you be watching that program? I meet up with a lady who is tough as. She's tough on me. And she's always saying to me, do you think that that is a good thing to have in your diary? And even just the question makes me go, um, um, oh, let me just think, um, why is it good? Three, three reasons why it's good. We'll begin with P. Um, you know, it makes me think. She's asking me the question. And she's not asking to trip me up. She's asking to keep me strong. Thirdly, we can make our resources better. Sharing a blanket is better than having to have your own one. It really is, because it teaches us something. So I'm coming into land. Well done for being patient. How do I grow more committed? Well, there's four simple things. It sounds really basic, doesn't it? But sometimes people come and say to me, I really want to do this. I really want to, I'm so excited about this thing in my life and it's brilliant and it's shiny and it's great. And I say, is that, has God asked you to do it? And you see the little face fall and they're, and they're like, oh, I'm not sure I've asked him. There are times when we might get a great idea, but do you know what? Sometimes it's not a God idea. Sometimes it's like a cul-de-sac idea. It's a waste of time idea and it sounds great and it looks great and it might feel great, but it might not be God great. With him and others, set goals. I'm working with some people at the moment and we set goals for each other. It's really helpful, even when we don't kind of meet the goals. It's really good to set a goal and say, I'm going to try this this week. It's really helpful. And then we stay accountable. It's so important to review how you're doing, isn't it? To say to somebody, can you check? I want to do this in my life, but I need you to check me on it. I need you to say, have you done that? Have you done that thing that you promised you were going to do? Because we forget, don't we? So easily we forget. If I had 20 quid for every time one of my kids came in and said, Mummy, I want to go, go on a run with you, I'd be rich. Because when I actually say, look, I've got my trainers on. Do you want to, you ready? Ready to come? They're like, oh. But I say, no, no, because you said you were going to come and it's Saturday. You said you were going to, come on, trainers, here we go. Let's go. Let's do it. And suddenly they forget. And we do that. We forget that we said we were going to put our trainers on for God. We need people to remind us, don't we? And lastly, finish tasks. One of the things that the enemy loves to do is remind us of all the stuff we haven't done. And if we finish a task, he can't do that. 
But he will, he will slam us again and again and again and say, you said you were going to do that and you didn't. So if we finish it, we can say those beautiful words that Jesus said on the cross, it is finished in your face. And he can't do anything about it. But if it's unfinished business, then he'll press those buttons and he'll say, you are rubbish. You didn't do the thing that you said you were going to do. And he's right. So he wins some points. This morning, God just said something very simple to me. And this is the last thing I'm going to say. Probably. Um, And he said that the enemy is full of dissing. You know how like, people diss us and the enemy is full of diss he's full of disappointment he's full of disillusionment he's full of dissatisfying he's full of disenfranchising he's always got a diss for us and we listen to that God doesn't diss us he doesn't speak to us like that he doesn't he doesn't call that kind of stuff out on us the word commit I kind of looked it up just before I came out In Latin, the word com means together. And mitment comes from the Latin mitere, which means sent on a mission to release and to bring liberty. So that that word together means we're together on a mission to bring liberty. Isn't that amazing? Let's stand together, shall we? Maybe for some of us here, we need to commit just very, very simply to putting some music in our lives. We need to commit to putting some worship on when we're cooking or, you know, when when we're on the way to work, we need to commit to putting something positive rather than listening to the radio. Maybe we need to commit to hanging out with our mates. And by mates, I don't just mean people who'll sit with us in the pub, but people who'll challenge us people who love us, people who will grow us. Maybe we need to be people who say, well, I'm good at the music and I'm good at the mates, but perhaps I need to develop my ministry. Perhaps I need to think about how I serve. And for some of us tonight, we've constantly got a voice in our ears of that enemy, that disappointment, that disillusionment, that I've I've let God down. So just in this space now, I'm just going to ask you if you're comfortable to put out your hands and to ask God, what is it? What's the one thing that you're speaking to me right now? What's the one thing? Remember that commitment means together on a mission, sent out to release and to bring liberty. That's exciting that we can do that as a church and it's exciting that we can do that as individuals, but we have to come from a place 
where we're committed to the right stuff. Maybe you've been like that guy in the, in the buffet line, you've overcommitted. You've kind of said yes to everything and you're feeling worn out. You're feeling burnt out. God just comes to refresh you now. 